Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org friendshipwithgod.org or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. That's the message here. God was telling Abraham that Abraham was precious to God. You know, God made Abraham precious to him and God makes us precious to him. And this is what he said. You might want to turn to it in Isaiah 13, 12. Isaiah 13, 12. Or you may not want to turn to it. It doesn't matter. I'm going to say it anyway. <laughs> okay, Isaiah 13, 12, it says this. This is God speaking. you got to understand that in Isaiah 13, 12, it's God who is speaking, and he says, I, as in God, I will make a man more precious than fine gold, even a man than the golden wedge of Ophir. So you see in that verse how God is saying, I will do this. I will make a man more precious than fine gold. Man is made precious because of God. Man does not make himself precious to God. God makes man precious to himself. And God said this also, and if you want to turn to this, you can. Isaiah 43, 3 through 5, there's a passage heard a little earlier this morning. It says, for I am the Lord thy God, the Holy One of Israel, thy Savior. I gave Egypt for thy ransom. Ethiopia and Seba for thee. And then he says, since thou wast precious in my sight, thou hast been honorable and I have loved thee, therefore I will give men for thee and people for thy life. Fear not, for I am with thee. I will bring thy seed from the east and gather thee from the west. So again, we have these words. Thou wast precious in my sight. See, I will make a man precious. Thou wast precious in my sight. And How God makes man precious is again emphasized when he says that verse that we always like to quote at funerals in Psalm 116.5, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Again, the emphasis in that verse is in the sight of the Lord, precious in the sight of the Lord. And with all those words that God said, I will make a man more precious than fine gold. Thou wast precious in my sight, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. They all emphasize that God has made man precious to be cared for, to be protected, to be guarded, to be watched over. God did that. God has done that. And so God has made man precious, but man doesn't see man like God does. Man and God are not on the same page when it comes to this issue. And that's why you have in Lamentations 4.2 where God says, The precious sons of Zion 
comparable to fine gold, how are they esteemed as earthen pitchers, the work of the hands of the potter? See, there you really see in that verse in Lamentations 4.2, you really see how man and God are not at all on the same page. They're a universal way from each other when it comes to looking at the value of man. God says the precious sons of Zion, and it's from his point of view, comparable to fine gold, but then he said they are esteemed among themselves. Ah, like an earthen vessel, like an earthen pitcher, the work of the men's of the potter. See, potter. See, this verse shows how God and man are not on the same page when it comes to how man is viewed. See, God calls the Jewish people the precious sons of Zion compared to fine gold. God looks on man and says they are precious comparable to fine gold. But man is not on the same page as that. God is surprised. He's surprised at that. And he says, how are they esteemed? As earthen pitchers? The work of the hands of the potter? Like God's saying, how is that possible? I see them as precious like fine gold, and they see they're just like nothing. God says man is as precious as fine gold, and man says that man has no more value than some old worthless clay pot. That's what he's saying here. God looks at man and says, as precious as fine gold, and man looks at man and says, no more value than clay pots. The potter makes a dime a dozen, nothing special. God looks at abortion and says, no, stop. That's a precious baby in there, as precious as fine gold. And man looks at abortion, and man says, abortion, why not? We've got the rights of the woman. She's got some rights. She wants to kick it out of her. Let her kick it out of her. The baby's not precious, just a worthless clump of cells, like a clay pot, dime a dozen, any time, not precious. God looks at man, and he says, yatsar, yatsar. I formed man with my own hands, precious. Man looks at man and says, oh, what precious? Evolution. The result of time and chance and random processes, about as precious as a monkey in a cage in a zoo. So God and man, they're just not on the same page when it comes to seeing the value of man. See, God says in John 3.16, for God so loved the world, he saw man as so precious, and he loved man so much that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believed in him should not perish and have everlasting life. So why did God send his son to die for man? Because God made man precious in his sight. Because God created him in his own image. Man says, a fairy tale. Science says evolution is truth. Creation is a myth. Why would God bother to give his son for something that is worthless as a product of evolution? Why would God give his son for a series of accidents? That happened over time, and because of chance and random process, it resulted in man. What's so precious about that? What's precious about man? See, that's the two different views. And so God and man don't share the same estimation of the value of man. God has made man as precious in the sight as fine gold. Man has made man as worthless as a common everyday clay pot. That's why it's so important in verse 1 when God called out Abraham's name. Because Abraham, when he did that, this is the king of the universe who's got the name of Abraham on his lips, and he's saying, you're you're precious in my sight, and so are we. So are we precious in God's sight. So when God said to Abraham, fear not Abram, he's saying to Abraham that he should not fear, and that by saying his name, he was assuring, God was assuring Abraham that he saw everything that had happened to him and how Abraham was feeling, and God saw the empty feeling that Abraham was feeling, the emptiness, he saw the emptiness of it all, he saw the fear of it all, he felt the fear of it all that Abraham was feeling, and he had compassion. And then he says in verse 1, I am thy shield. And he says, now here's Jehovah Jesus, and he's telling Abraham why Abraham should not fear. Why should you not be afraid, Abraham? Because he says, I am thy shield. Now, 
That's a pretty relevant article that God has just called out because Abraham has just come from a terrific battle of the slaughter of the kings. And in that battle, Abraham was in real danger. It wasn't a theoretical danger. It was in real danger. He was outnumbered by probably something of 25 to 1 with his little army of 400. And Abraham, and that means that Abraham and his men, they had to kill 25 men and not be killed in order to have the victory they had. And in that battle, as Abraham was, you know, slewing and slaying, you know, it was a rough job, man after man, Abraham wondered, you know, as in the thick of that killing 25 men in a state alive at least, he was wondering, am I really going to come out of this alive? Am I really going to come out of this battle alive? And he knew, Abraham knows, like we all know, he didn't have eyes in the back of his head. So in that battle, being outnumbered 25 to 1, Abraham wondered when he's working on killing this man in front of him, would another man come up behind him? And in any moment, would Abraham now feel the sharp, cold steel of a sword across his neck? And then it'd be curtains. So as Abraham's working on killing this man in front of him, what did Abraham rely on to not be killed? His shield. That's all he had. He had the one defensive piece, his shield. And then as that man is killed and Abraham swings around to face a new man coming up behind him, and what's the first thing that Abraham relies on to not be killed? His shield. Abraham's shield. And we can imagine how Abraham relied on the shield to save his life time and again, over and over again. We can imagine how Abraham gripped that shield so hard that maybe his hand became frozen in place, like it says about one of the warriors in the army of the Israelites. He slew so many people they couldn't had to pry his hand off of his sword. And after the battle, after the battle, and Abraham's looking at himself and says, boy, I'm not dead. And we look at Abraham's shield And on that shield are all those stab marks and all those slice marks where the many blades of the enemy just had left it on his shield. And with the eye of our imagination now, we look at Abraham and we see Abraham looking at each stab mark and each slice mark on his shield. And we see Abraham after the battle sitting down and he's looking at his shield and he's saying, I remember I remember how this enemy soldier came at me lunging with his sword and how I swung my shield just in the nick of time around and I felt a thud on that shield as the sword hit there and there it is, the mark of that sword. And there was the Abraham and now as I sit down and he says, well, look at that mighty slash mark across this shield and I'm reminded now how I would have been dead meat if I didn't have that shield to go right up there and protect. I remember that one. And he would say, my shield saved me. And he said, shield, if you were animate, I'd say to you, thank you, shield. (laughs) And we see Abraham after the battle. He's sitting down there. He's looking at his shield. And he says, I remember how this enemy came at me with this mighty sword. And he was coming right for my neck. And what did I do? I remembered how I lifted up my shield at that point. And I felt that blow that was meant for my neck. But my shield took it. Now as I sit down, I see this huge slice mark across this shield, and I'm reminded again how I would have been killed. And again, he was that, thank you, shield. And ever since that battle, Abraham has been so impressed with the value of his shield, how this shield was so reliable, and it stopped every sword and knife that was designed to kill Abraham, and how the shield bore the marks of every blow that would have killed Abraham, and how his shield was just about destroyed. It didn't even look, probably didn't even look 
very good after all of that battle. But Abraham was alive. Abraham was alive. And ever since the battle, Abraham has not stopped thinking about his shield. And he just can't get his shield out of his mind. And if his shield was alive, he'd kiss it. He would. And thank it. And with all those thoughts of his shield flooding his mind, he's he's thinking about the shield, and God calls him out and says, Abraham, I'm your shield. I am your shield. Meet your shield, Abraham. Oh, man. All of a sudden, Abraham, when he sees that, he's stunned. And he says, I got it. I got it. The truth of that, as soon as God said to Abraham, I am thy shield, we can imagine looking at his shield and say, I got it. God is my shield. God is my shield. My shield protected me from every blow that was designed to kill me. I'm alive because of my shield. This shield protected me by taking the blows that were destined for me. This shield is marred forever with the scars that protected me from death. And then Abraham could say, I get it. Jehovah Jesus is my shield. We say along with Abraham, we get it. Jehovah Jesus is our shield. And just as Abraham's shield protected him from every blow that was designed to kill him, so our Jehovah Jesus as our shield protects us from every blow designed to kill us. God gave us our shield. Our Jehovah Jesus was given to us as a shield, as it says in uh, 2 Samuel twenty-two thirty-six. Thou hast also given me the shield of thy salvation, 2 Samuel twenty-two thirty-six. This word salvation is the word Yeshua. So this verse reads, thou hast given me the shield of my Yeshua, the shield of my salvation, the Lord Jesus Christ, the ultimate shield was given to us, as it says in Isaiah 9, 6. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. The child was born, Jesus. The child was born. The son was not born. The son was given. God the son was given. As what? As our shield. Our shield. This is John three sixteen, when it says that God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, whosoever believed in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That verse is saying that God so loved the world that he gave God the son as our shield to protect us from what? Perishing. That was the blow. And the shield of the Lord Jesus Christ is also our message. That's our message, you know, all this summer long for 12 weeks. About 150 Israel Restoration workers have gone into 17 cities, knocked on over 700,000 doors, Jewish doors, throughout the U.S. with one message, one message to people, and it is the same message as David, king of Israel, he also gave to the people when he said in Psalm 115, verse 9, O Israel, trust in the Lord, he is their help and their shield. In Psalm 115.10, next verse. O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. Next verse, Psalm 115.11. Ye that fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. So for 100,000 over, 100,000 man hours, those erm workers all summer long, as they've encountered common, run-of-the-mill, secular Jewish people, they've said to them, in essence, the words of Psalm 115.9, O Israel, O common, secular Jewish person, trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. He's your help. He's your shield. And for the over the 100,000 man hours, those erm workers all summer long, as they have encountered rabbis and religious people, Orthodox Jewish people, they've said in essence to them the words of Psalm 115, verse 10, O house of Aaron, O rabbis, O religious people, Jewish people, trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. He is your help. He is your shield. 
And for over 100,000 man hours, these workers all summer long, when they've met believers, which they have, they've said in essence to them in the verse 15, Psalm 115, verse 11, Psalm 115, verse 11, ye that fear the Lord, O believers, in other words, trust in the Lord. He's your help and your shield. Now, we see in Abraham as he's looking at his marred shield, and we see with Abraham that all the scars, he's looking on that, and he's examining each scar, he's looking about it, he's thinking about what happened when that scar came, and he says, boy, that scar was made from the blow that would have killed me. I remember that blow, and, this, and I remember the thud, and I remember seeing the sword come at me and the great thud and so forth. And we see in that scene, he's looking at a scarred-up shield and hear the words from God, I am thy shield. And we understand that when Jehovah Jesus said, I am thy shield, Jehovah Jesus meant, I am thy shield that took the blows that were designed for you. I am your shield that took the blows that were designed for you. I am the shield that was marred to save you. I am the shield that bears the scars to remind you how I saved you. And we hear in that phrase, I am thy shield, the words of Isaiah 53, 5. I am thy shield that was wounded for your transgressions. I am thy shield that was bruised for your iniquities. And when Jehovah Jesus says, I am thy shield, we hear the words of Isaiah 53, 8. I am thy shield that was cut off out of the land of the living for the transgression of my people. I was stricken. And when he says, I am thy shield, we hear the words of Isaiah 53, 12. I am thy shield that poured out his soul unto death. And the words of Isaiah 50, verse 6. I am thy shield that gave my back to the smiters, and my cheeks to them that plucked out the hair. I hid not my face from shame and spitting. And the greatest blow that was meant for us that Jehovah Jesus took as our shield was the blow of the death that we deserved because of our sins. And he took that death blow for us, as it says in 1 Corinthians 15, 3, Christ died for our sins. And from the fall of man, all this was predicted about the shield when it says in Genesis 3.15 that the seed of the woman would crush the head of the king of death, but he would crush his heel. He was the shield whose heel was crushed. As the process, he crushed the head of the devil. And Jehovah Jesus was the shepherd, that the shepherd shield that was struck, as it says in Zechariah 13, 7. Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, against the man that is my fellow, saith the Lord of hosts. Smite the shepherd. And he repeats that in John 10, 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. And when Jehovah Jesus is our shield, he took that death blow, he destroyed death. As it says in Hosea 13, 14, I will ransom them from the power of the grave. I will redeem them from the death. O death, I will be thy plagues. O grave, I will be thy destruction. And it says in 1 John 3, 8, he says, for this purpose the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. In Hebrews 2, 14, he says that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil. Jehovah Jesus is our shield, and he took the blows. That's exactly what Peter meant when he said, who in his own self, the shield, bear our sins in his own body on the tree that we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness by whose stripes or wounds we are healed, you are healed. And so the shield was recognized, and after the battle of the king, let me put it this way, Abraham could always recognize his shield because of the scars. It just didn't look the same, and it wasn't like any other shield. It was Abraham's shield, and Abraham recognized it, and it was identified by the scars. 
And so when Abraham saw all those scars on his shield, he said, that's my shield. Oh, I recognize that by the scars. I know each scar. <laughs> Do I ever? And that's my shield. It protected me. I know my shield because of those scars on it. And how will the Jewish people finally recognize that God is the Lord Jesus Christ? It will be after the battle of Armageddon, someone will see scars on his hands. And he'll say in Zechariah 13, 6, And one shall say unto him, What are these wounds in thine hands? And then he shall answer, Those with which I was wounded in the house of my friends. And immediately they'll know, Oh, he is Jesus. How do they recognize the scars on his hands? And then those scars, they're there forever. They're there forever. Abraham's shield was all new when it was started off before the battle without any scars on it before he went into battle. But after that, Abraham's shield was never the same. It was scarred forever with the marks and the memories of that battle. And after the Lord Jesus Christ came out of the battle of the cross, he was never the same. He was never the same. He bore in his body the scars that are forever on him. As it says in Revelation 5, 6, it says that I beheld and lo in the midst of the throne, the four beasts in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as it had been slain. And just as Abraham's shield would forever bear the scars that protected him, so our Jehovah Jesus shield will forever bear his scars that protected us. The scars referred to as a lamb as it had been slain. And what do we do about the scars? Do we shun them and turn away from them? We celebrate them. That's what it means, the communion service, when we come together. And he says in Corinthians 11, 1 Corinthians 11, 24, 25, he says, this is my body. And he takes it and he broken for you. It's a celebration. And he says, drink this cup in remembrance of me. The practice of taking the elements during communion is the same practice as Abraham did when he sat down and he had a good, long, thoughtful look at his shield. And just as Abraham looked at each scar on the shield and thought about how they saved him, that's what we do in communion. That's what we do. God wants us to come to communion just like Abraham did and look at our scarred Jehovah Jesus shield and appreciate the broken body that was broken for us, and the blood that was shed for us. That's what he wants. He says, remember. And then it says something very interesting here. Now, all this is encompassed in the term, I am thy shield, but what we've been talking about is really two different points of view. Now, from the point of view of function, Abraham was standing behind the shield, and he used it. And from that position of being behind the shield, the shield was the shield of Abraham. That's how you'd see it. But there's the point of view we've just been talking about is the point of view where Abraham stands in front of his shield and he sees all the scholars that are on it. And in that case, he's appreciating it. He's looking at it. And that is the shield to Abraham. From behind, using the shield, it's the shield of Abraham. From in front and appreciating, it's the shield to Abraham. Now, even though in the English, your Bible says that God said to Abraham, Abraham, I am thy shield. That's not the way the Hebrew reads. The Hebrew reads, I am a shield to you, Abraham. So we get that aspect of the appreciation. God says, I'm a shield to you. It's the same thing. You can look it up in First Chronicles 17.24, where God said, the Lord of hosts is the God of Israel, even a God to Israel. So he took the two lines there as well. A God of Israel and a God to Israel, and there's a big difference between the God of Israel and the God to Israel. It's the same difference between saying the shield of Abraham and the shield to Abraham. We receive the Lord Jesus Christ to save us from our sins. We stand behind the shield. He's our shield. Then we get in front of the shield, and we see what it took and what he bore to protect us, and it becomes a shield to us, and we worship him. 
for the price that he paid. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for sending your son, the Lord Jesus, to be not only a shield of us, but also a shield to us. And we appreciate him this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional verse. Now, Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org. Or you can write Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711-330, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California. That's S-A-N-T-E-E, Santee, California, 92071. Or you can email Tom Cantor at Tom Cantor. That's T-O-M-C-A-N-T-O-R, Tom Cantor, at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. What are you doing this Thursday? Come to the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California for our Thursday night Bible study and fellowship. This Thursday at 6.30 p.m. we'll study aliens, UFOs, and what the Bible says about them and answer the question, are we alone? And what does God's Word say about close encounters of the fourth kind? Join us at the Creation Museum in Santee, California. Call us 619-599-1104, 619-599-1104, or creationsd.org creationsd.org